Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 11 through verse 14. Um, a church that I preached in the other day, uh, uh, older gentleman there, uh, mentioned this passage. I know that you guys have quoted it. You've probably heard me quote it from this pulpit. Uh, it's a very familiar passage as it speaks about the promise of, I believe, revival from the Lord. And so uh, we're going to look at that today. In fact, the passage, Second uh, Chronicles 7, verse 11 through 14, the title is God's Instruction for Revival. God's Instruction for Revival. Uh, before I go forward this morning, though, I want to read something to you. I usually leave my phone in the truck, uh, but today I want to read something to you. Have any of you guys heard anything about the revival that's taking place in Kentucky at uh, Asbury College? Uh, some of you may have heard this already, but I just wanted to read it to kind of set the stage this morning as we talk about revival. Um, and look, I say this, I know that, that in the day and age we live in, uh, there's a lot of things out there, especially television and, and even some of the preachers on TV or people that call themselves preachers. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things out there that are not lined up with Scripture. Uh, but I want to say that I really believe, uh, it doesn't matter what I believe, it matters what God's doing, amen, but I really believe there's something sincerely taking place of the Lord uh, that are, is going on over there. I, I haven't obviously been there. I've heard one testimony I watched the other night that just moved me. In fact, it was Wednesday night at church. Uh, our youth pastor's wife shared it with me, and man, I'm telling you, it just, man, it moved me so powerful. My wife, I don't know where she got this. You may have read it, uh, but I want to read it for us this morning as we think about revival and God's instruction for revival um, and as we hear uh, what's going on in Kentucky. And I don't know if you know this, but apparently... Uh, Asbury College is where the last, one of the last big movements of God took place. The, the Jesus movement, as they talk, call it, uh, took place at that college. In fact, uh, as Providence would have it, as God would have it, uh, they're already scheduled. They're doing a movie about that, and, and things are taking place already that's scheduled there uh, in the near future. And so anyway, let me read this for you this morning. And I don't even know who wrote this. It says, the revival that's breaking out at Asbury College is just one of many that we are going to begin to see, and I pray that is a prophetic word. I woke up this morning with this repeating in my spirit, the Joshua generation is rising up. A generation that has not known God or experienced His works is about to radically be saved. For years these young people have been consumed by a flood of filth and perversion, but God has need of this generation. There are Davids and Esthers who have been hidden away who are about to step into the throne room. There are Joshua and Caleb who will not be afraid to conquer the land. Fierce servants of God. I ain't never had that happen. Can't hardly see. Amen. They will be ready to kill giants and claim what is theirs by right. A boldness is going to fall upon our sons and daughters that will empower them to tear down and cast out. Elishas are dropping their plows and picking up their mantles. The saints of old are going, gone and God is looking to our campuses and our schools, schoolhouses in search of those who will take their place. 
A call to ministry is going to fall heavily upon the generation as these people or these young people begin to open their hearts to God and see the conditions of this world. You hear the call of ministry he's prophetically speaking of. Man, we, we need it, don't we? Man, there is churches everywhere without pastors right now and folks that are answering the call to ministry. People are leaving every day. But he goes on to say, Shadrachs, Meshachs and Abednegoes are going to refuse to bow to the spirit of this age. I love this right here. What was considered an entertainment will now be repulsive. And what that which was accepted as truth will be discarded as dirty rags. Holiness will be the new standard as these young men and women begin to make a stand for the Lord Jesus. Holiness will be the new standard as these young men and women, I had to swap screens and women begin to make a stand for righteousness. A clashing of two kingdoms is taking place as darkness and light collide. The God who answers by fire is going to burn through this nation, consuming our sons and daughters from the lunchroom to the football field, from colleges to high schools. The Spirit of God is going to be poured out. Our churches are going to be overrun. I pray that it's prophetic. Amen. Our churches are going to be overrun by young people seeking to be saved, delivered, and filled with the Holy Ghost. This move of God will be organized by man. This outpouring is going to be led by and controlled by the Holy Ghost of God. The wind of the Spirit is beginning to blow. A generation of dry bones is starting to rattle. Man. I'm telling you, I pray, Lord Jesus, please. How many of y'all, man, I know I've seen glimpses of revival. Man, I've, I've gotten to see the Lord do a whole lot. And, and man, but I want to see a true revival, amen? I want to see the Lord just sweep down from heaven. And, and I pray and believe that's what's happening. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on, but I know the testimony. I know what I just read right there, man. I want to believe that to be a prophetic word, amen, that's what's taking place. And, and man, we know we've seen it through history. We've studied it through the word. Maybe we, we've personally seen glimpses of it, but man, we have today in Scripture a promise from God to His people, amen. And so as we look today, God's instruction for revival, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11 through verse 14. It says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord. And this is a very pivotal moment for the people of God. It says, Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And here's our scripture we quote all so often. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Father God, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we do ask that you'd speak to our hearts today, Lord Jesus. Father God, you know that, Lord, we are here today because, Lord, we truly want to hear from you. We want you to do a work in our lives today, Lord Jesus. God, I, I pray, Father, that you would just move in a powerful way, Father God, that this would be more than just, 
Lord God, routine, more than us just coming to church, but God, today we would be the church and we would be your people and you would be able to do a work in your people today, Father God. Lord, once again, Father, not in an act of routine, uh, not just in habit, but God, right now I rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. God, may there be no spirit working here today other than the Holy Spirit of God. And Father, we just plead the blood of Christ over this place. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear from you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So today as we look at this, I want you, number one, to see this. I want you to see the method for revival. Now this is very simple today, but guys, listen, you've heard me say this before. It's the simple things that we're missing today, amen? We try to complicate the gospel too often. We try to complicate what it takes to have revival too often. This is the simplicity of it, and we need to just practice it today. So today, this morning, I want you to see, first of all, the method of revival, the method. And he lines it out right here in Scripture for us, doesn't he? Number one, the first part of the method for revival, is he instructs us to humble ourselves. He says, humble yourselves. My people who are called by my name, he says, humble themselves. We know that James chapter 4 verse 10 tells us, it says, humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. I don't know about you, but man, I know that me personally, pride is a very prevalent thing in my life. My flesh loves pride. It's all about pride. It eats up pride. Amen. In fact, it's so hard for me to humble myself, to, to just kill my flesh, to, to make it bow to the Lord and recognize Him as Lord and recognize that I'm not Lord, that I don't know everything, that I'm not in charge, that I don't have it all together. I have to really force myself to do that. Amen. But if we're going to ever have revival, we've got to learn to biblically humble ourselves. Listen, I think for a long time, we have adopted what I'm going to call this morning a sense of false humility. In other words, often we can say, man, yeah, we got to humble ourselves. We, we need to be humble before the Lord. I want to be humble before the Lord. And we have this false representation of humility, and we're not bowing ourselves before the Lord at all. We're still privately thinking we've got it under control. Man, I've told you this before. One of my greatest battles in my life in Christ has been anxiety. And I don't know if you struggle with anxiety, but if you really dissect anxiety, anxiety is just this. I privately am in control, and I privately can take care of my life. I privately can take care of all the struggles, and, and I just don't trust God to handle it all. Amen? That's really what it is. Anything in our life that we allow ourselves to continue in control of, we're probably thinking that we can do it better than God. And we need to truly humble ourselves, really, truly take our flesh chop it off at the legs, amen, make it bow before the Lord and humble ourselves in His presence if we're ever going to have true revival. And then, of course, He goes on. His instructions not only that we would humble ourselves, but He also instructs us, of course, to pray. He says, my people called by my name, humble themselves and pray. Now, I know today, as I already said, this is so elementary. We all have heard dozen after dozens of sermons instructing us to pray. But today, let's just get honest. Does anybody in here today feel like you pray as much as you should? Or as hard as we should? Or as sacrificial as we should? Or as intercessory as we should? I'm raising my hand because I'm telling you, man, I'm, man it is such a battle. Man, I can find everything in the world to do to avoid praying. Why? One of the greatest tools we have in our hands to be able to talk to our Heavenly Father through Jesus, His Son, the most powerful man who's ever walked this earth, amen? God in the flesh. We can talk to Him 
every second of the day, but yet it's the thing I avoid the most. I'm just being honest, and maybe you can relate to that this morning. I pray we got some prayer warriors in here that that's not you today, that you wake up and, man, you fall on your face before God and you pray and you speak to God, you communicate with Him. I pray you're doing that, but, man, I'm just telling you, I'm so easily distracted, so lazy, so busy sometimes. I'm that Martha, and Mary's over there talking to Jesus at Jesus' feet, but I'm all busy about everything else. Listen. Man, God's calling us to really pray. In fact, as we look to this potential great movement of God that's going on, it started as, a, if I understand, a prayer time where they were praying for God to do something. And I forget how many hours, but hours later, God answered, God moved. Amen? Man, I'm going to quote this in just a moment again, but if anybody ever heard of the 1857 revival where a man named Jeremiah Lamphere who was just a businessman who had gotten burdened for revival, who had gotten burdened for God to move and to shake the foundations of this world. He began to plan a lunchtime, a noontime prayer meeting where men of business would come and, and they would gather to pray. And in that prayer meeting, as days turned into weeks, the crowd grew larger and larger until it became a move of God that swept across, I believe it started in New York City, swept across, yeah, New York City, it can happen. That's how powerful God is. And it swept across the world. Great revival. I've looked at pictures of it before where, man, it's just people standing alongside riverbanks, hundreds and hundreds of them, as men and women were being baptized that were born again, man. And listen, people were signing up on waiting lists to try to teach Sunday school. People were on waiting lists, my sister over here, to serve in the nursery, to work and do things. Look, you've probably heard me say this. When I was a pastor, we killed thousands of trees printing paper for sign-up lists, trying to beg people to work in the church and serve in the church. But when they prayed, as we're looking at it, they truly prayed, man, revival came, and people were begging, let me serve next, please, put me on the list, I want to serve. But it's only when we really pray, really pray, amen? So he instructs us to humble ourselves, to pray, and then he goes on and he says to seek my face. He instructs us to seek his face. What does it mean to seek God's face? Well, to seek after his favor, to seek his approval. Not just your spouse, not that boyfriend or girlfriend, not that friend, not that job, not that social media outlet or avenue you might be using and, and wanting to seek everybody else's approval. No, seek God's face. Seek His approval. For Him to, to look at you with pleasure and, and to, to be satisfied and pleased with who you are and where you are in life. Amen? I remember growing up, and many of y'all can probably relate to this, I remember a time in my life where, man, as an innocent child... Uh, this was just something that was in me that, that I wanted to do was to, to please my mom and my dad to, to, in a sense, seek their face, their approval. I remember years ago, man, I, I was probably six, seven years old or something. And I remember going outside and I remember raking leaves, not because I was towed to, not because it was a chore that was on a list, but I wanted to do it because I wanted to do something that made them happy. 
And as a young child, I understood that concept and how much more important it is now that we would want to serve and do things that make the Lord happy, the one who loves us more than we can imagine. Amen. That's what it means to seek his face, to seek his approval. Now, of course, we know that that young man that I was then, there were some stubborn things I did too, right? But I can look back and remember that, and that's no different than what the Lord wants us to do now as we seek to live for Him as our Heavenly Father, that we would seek His face and seek His approval. And then He goes on, of course, and the next one is, is the one that is missing everywhere. We just had a Disciple Now weekend at our church, and man, we had hundreds, literally, of teenagers there. And the one sermon I got to go to before I had to go to work, I listened, and this was never mentioned. In fact, every time I turn on the TV, every time I go to listen to someone, this is hardly ever mentioned, ever. And I personally believe, and I believe I'm right, that we need to mention this every moment we open our mouths in the pulpit, in the Sunday school class, when we're teaching God's Word. And that's the instructions to repent. To repent. I know it's not popular. I know the world around us hates it. But he says, seek my face. And then he says, turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Turn from their wicked ways. In fact, if you've ever looked for a definition of repentance, there it is right there. Turn from their wicked ways. Man, he instructs us to repent. And I know I'm certain you've heard me say this, but not slow down on sin. Not even just have remorse for sin. Judas, remember Judas had remorse, then he hung himself, and most likely ended up in hell. Remorse is in my sin, a friend of the flesh, friend of the devil. Repentance is what's godly. To turn from our wicked ways. Turn from them. Man, I love what I just read a moment ago. What used to be entertainment will be repulsive. Man, that's a sign of repentance, amen? <laughs> the things I used to love to do, the things that I used to count as pleasure are sickening to me, amen? That's biblical repentance. The things that used to have a hold to me, the things that used to keep me in bondage and, and miserable and, and empty and broken and meaningless and, and, and just all the filth of the world, those things now I look at as filth and garbage and worthless. And that's what happens when we repent, amen? Because we begin to hate the things of the world and love the things of God. Real repentance. Turn from their wicked ways. Turn from them. And we live in a generation now, and not just the world around us, but the church right now is running to evil, to wickedness. Not turning from wickedness. I mean, we have pulpits right now that are filled with folks that are not preachers, but people who are homosexuals, people who are transgender, people who... May not be that, but they promote those wicked abomination lifestyles. Just all kinds of garbage. Uh, listen, I'm not going to let, we got, we got men out there right here in Washington Parish not, not long ago, preachers caught in adultery. And, and I'm not talking about uh, just something that happened real, I'm talking about years of adultery being proven. People are living that lifestyle. Wickedness. We're not turning from our wicked ways. We're embracing it. We're running to it. We need biblical repentance, don't we? Amen? Man, I don't know about you, but I've still got things in my life, that these, these spiritual ruts that I get into, and instead of repent, I just always tell myself, well, 
man, I, I'm going I'm to fight through that. And I tell myself that to appease my conscience, and then I just go on about my way. Never repenting. I, I addressed it, right, God? I acknowledge that as sin. But that's not real repentance. Listen, here's real repentance. I love this passage right here. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Listen to what Scripture says here. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But, listen, here's, a, here's repentance. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. He who covers up, who conceals his transgressions, his sins, won't prosper. But he who confesses, see, I, 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 at times I can be real good at confessing sin, but it goes on, and forsakes them will find com compassion. It's got to be forsaked, amen? you got to turn from it. It can't be just acknowledging that sin. you got to turn from it and forsake it. Amen? And so we see this morning the method of revival. Second of all, this morning I want you to see the promise of revival. The promise of revival. This is so awesome that, that God gives us the promise. He says, if my people would humble themselves... Pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, and, and I love that word, then. Then, then, amen? Then, number one, I will hear from heaven. God will hear our prayers, amen? Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, I remember it says the, the Lord heard their groanings, the people of God, as they were groaning, as they were praying. Do you remember the passage where, where Saul is on the road to Damascus? He's blinded. He goes into Damascus, I believe. He's in a man named Judas, not the Judas Iscariot. Of course, he's dead by then. He goes in there to his house. He's waiting. And then God goes to a man named Cornelius, remember? And what does the angel tell Cornelius? Your prayers have ascended to the Lord. In other words, he's heard them. And what a precious promise that God will hear our prayers. You've heard me preach. I believe it's Isaiah, was it Isaiah chapter 1 where uh, the Lord tells them. Remember he goes in that list. He says, what are your multiplied prayers to me? What is this trampling in my courts? He says, bring your worthless offerings no longer. These are the people of God who are living in rebellion. He says, even though you pray, even though you multiply prayers to me, he said, I will not hear them anymore. But we have a promise here that if we do what we're instructed, that He will hear our prayers. Amen? He will hear our prayers. Have you ever had anybody in your life, a family member, a loved one, that, that man, you wanted to hear from? They wouldn't answer your phone. They wouldn't respond to a text. You don't know what's going on. Maybe you've got a wayward child. Maybe someone out there, you're, you're, you just long to hear from them. And they won't respond, and, and man, that's kind of, that's a burden to your heart. Well, can you imagine if we really ever recognize the fact that with our sin, when we live in sin and we refuse to repent and do what God's instructed us to do, that He's not even listening to our prayers? He's not answering? Sure, we fabricate in our mind what He might be saying to us and what we want to believe that He's saying to us, but if we're living in sin, He's not listening but man, what a precious promise that he will hear our prayers. Amen. He, he tells them there in uh, verse 13 what he says. If I shut the heavens so that there is no rain or I command the locusts to devour the land or if I send pestilence among my people and my people who are called by my name. I'm sorry, I got to back up to verse 12. He says, then the Lord appeared to Solomon at the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer. 
And I know this is, again, so elementary, but we miss it so often, don't we? Because we refuse to repent. We refuse to humble ourselves and pray and seek His face. And we think we're hearing from God, but the whole time it's just a tone of religious just movement in our lives and we're really not communion with Him because sin is in our lives. And if we really want revival, we've got to do what He said. And we have this precious promise that He will hear our prayers. But not only the promise of hearing our prayers, but also the promise of forgiveness of sins. Amen? My people are called by my name. I'm with themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from the wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And then he says, we'll forgive their sin. We'll forgive their sin. Man, listen. No guilt. No consequences. Maybe, maybe sometimes our sins, we still may bear some consequences inside of heaven. You go out there and you speed, and you get pulled over, you get a ticket, you ask the Lord, forgive me, I just broke the law of the land, please forgive me, He will forgive you. You still may have some consequences, you still may have to pay, amen? But man, true forgiveness, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no hell, amen? Man, to really be forgiven, to be at peace with God, to, to be in right standings with God, to be forgiven. Is that not beautiful? Is that not an awesome promise? Amen? Again, we, we often think about forgiveness as the type of forgiveness we give or the type of forgiveness we receive from others this side of heaven. And often we view God's forgiveness as is that type of forgiveness, and there's two are nowhere alike, aren't they? Because my forgiveness often is this. Yes, I forgive you, but you better not such and such and such and such. Right? Or, or I will forgive you, but you've got to do this or do that. If you do this, I'll forgive you. No, when we really truly do what God's instructed us here today, He really forgives us. And I love what the Word of God tells us. That he, in fact, Mark Hall, Casting Crown, sings an awesome song about this. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? You can't even measure it, right? Because if you continue to go east, you ain't never going west. If you go west, you ain't never going east. Amen? It's just endless circle. That's how far, how awesome his forgiveness is. And then I love what he says. Also, scripture tells us that he cast it into the deepest parts of the sea. There's parts of the sea that's never been known by man, even the technology we have today. And then I love this, remembers it no more. Forgiveness. He cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, the deepest parts of the sea, and remembers them no more. Again, we relate forgiveness often to the type we give and the type we receive. I can almost tell you everything my wife's ever done wrong against me. <laughs> And forgiveness is remembering no more, amen? And it takes supernatural business for that to happen, but am I right? we got to quit viewing God's forgiveness through the type of forgiveness we give and receive and realize He really, truly forgives us. He really, truly cleanses us. He really, truly removes the guilt and the shame if we allow Him to do it. And He never remembers it. He won't even bring it up. If it's brought back up, it's your flesh or the devil, amen? Forgiveness, what a precious promise God gives us here. And then the last promise he shows us of revival is not only that he hears our prayers, that we're right standings with him, that we're talking with him, we're communicating with him. He's forgiven us our sins. He's cleansing us. We're being set free. But then he says, 
that he will heal our land. He says, I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now, no, man, nobody this morning would argue with the fact that our land needs healing. Amen? Man, there is so much. Th- I'm telling you, everything out there right now, from COVID, everything, every disease, COVID, cancer, everything out there is a result of sin. It goes all the way back to Genesis when the Lord instructed them to to not partake of the forbidden fruit that he instructed them not partake of. He says, if you do, you will surely die. Disease, sickness, all that came as a result of that. And so now fast forward a few thousand years later, where we're at right now, society, what's going on around us and all the things that are happening and developing and everything out there, all the, the diseases, the lands, the things that are taking place, the reason we need healing in our land is a result of sin. If we get right with God, man, I'm telling you, our land can be healed. I went years ago, this may I think will be, man, possibly close to eight or nine years ago. Uh, my wife and I, we got the pleasure of being able to go to Israel. And let me just show you this. I was one of those guys, when I got saved, uh, I always said this. I had people constantly coming to me, oh, you need to go with us on a trip to Israel. You need to go to this. Man, it's so awesome. I've always said this, and I still believe this statement I'm about to tell you. Listen. God's Holy Spirit's the same here in America as it is in Israel. That's the truth, 100%. Same Holy Spirit living to me as over there in Israel, amen? But I'm going to tell you, I went, and it was profound. It was amazing. But one thing I saw there is we think about the healing of our land. Man, you'd be just driving down the road, and on the side of mountains, rocky mountains, there would be just this one little flat area and there would be dozens of date trees or, or olive trees and man, it was just so beautiful and flourishing. Man, you'd go be going down the road and, and sunflower fields, I know you've seen sunflower fields or you've seen pictures of them. Pictures can't describe how beautiful they were. And y'all know me, I love God's creation. I love taking it in, you know. But man, it was so amazing. We got through Jericho, we're headed towards Jordan, and we go through there, and there's date trees there. That Man, I, I don't know how tall they were. I'm talking about, they're taller than the billboards you see on the side of the interstate. I'm talking about just huge, man, big, beautiful. And the whole time I was like reminding myself, because this is God's chosen people, God's chosen land. Well, listen. Man, we've been grafted in, amen? We believe the scriptures, right? We've been grafted in to, as the people of God. Well, then why can't our land be healed? Why can't our land be as prosperous as it once was? Amen? Why can't we have the, um, all these presidents and everything want to make America great again, build back America, all this garbage? Whatever. Man, listen, you want that? Let's do this right here. When we do this, when we humble ourselves, we pray, we really seek God's face, we turn from our wicked ways, uh, man, America will be greater than it's ever been. Ever. Amen? So you see the method of revival, you see the promise of revival. And then in closing this morning, I want you to see this. I want you to see the important part about this, the conditions God puts on it. Amen? Uh, Of course, number one, and most importantly, he says the first part of verse 14, my people who are called by my name. My people. And a lot of times people try to claim the promises of God just because... They hear them. Well, no, these are for the people of God. In other words, this morning, listen. If you don't know Jesus, you've never been born again. 
and you know me, I'm about to say, you've heard me say this, I'm not asking if you're a member of All's Chapel Bible Church or any other church. I'm not asking if you've ever been baptized. As important as those things are, what I'm asking you is this, are you really a child of God? Have you really been born again? Have you allowed Him to become the Lord of your life where you've really truly confessed that Jesus Christ is really truly the Son of God who came to this world, born of a virgin, lived a total sinless life, 100%, never gave in to temptation, was tempted in all ways, yet without sin, as the Bible tells us. You believe that today by faith, and it is fact, amen? And you believe that he went and he suffered and died on a cruel cross, brutally murdered. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, brutally murdered, and was put in a borrowed tomb, and three days later was raised from the grave. He was so powerful, so awesome, he raised himself from the grave, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Today, do you believe that fact? Have you truly put your faith in that? It's more than just a story. It's more than just something I hear. More than something I just agree with. I know that I know that I know that Jesus Christ really, truly walked this earth. I know that he was born of a virgin called Mary. I know that he never sinned. And I know that on September 14th of 97 that I put my trust and faith in the finished work of the cross, that I received forgiveness of my sins from the Lord Jesus, and that I'm no longer my own, that I've been bought with a price, that I'm a new creation, that I'm His child, amen? I know that today, and that I'm going to heaven, and that His promise is for me, amen? That I am part of His people, called by His name. That is an unbelievable important condition about this promise. You can quote this passage all day long, but if you're not his child, you'll never experience revival because you've never had a spiritual awakening. Amen? And then the last part I want us to think about today is this. For those of us today that would be like me and confess, I know him. I know I'm his child. I know that I've been called by his name. I know that I'm his child. I want us to recognize the great importance that he's given us and responsibility for revival. We'd all love to sit in these pews right here and blame every politician. And hey, listen, they deserve some blame, amen? Lots of it. We'd love to sit right here and blame every mayor, every governor, every leader, every civic leader, everybody. We'd love to blame every one of them and say we're not having a revival. Our land, our world around us is falling apart. We'd love to point fingers at everybody. But the Bible says this, if judgment must come, it must come first where? The house of the Lord. And we have a promise today, not for the world, but for the people of God, if we would humble ourselves, pray, and seek God's face, and turn from our wicked ways, we'd have revival. And when the church has a revival, I believe there'll be an awakening. The two are different. Revival's for the church, the people of God. This is for the people of God, that we would be revived. But when we're revived, I believe with everything in me, there will be an awakening like none other. There will be men, women, boys, and girls ushered into the kingdom of heaven. I believe what that person wrote prayerfully that was prophetic, that there will be young people flooding and old people flooding to the church house. Just as the Philippian jailer shouted out, what must I do to be saved? He and his whole family were saved and baptized. I believe that will happen, but it will only happen when the church, when we the people of God, do what God's called us to do. Amen? 
when we get right with Him, we are moved by revival and the spirit of revival takes place and then awakening takes place. Amen? So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and again, I know, man, listen, I could, and listen, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but I could preach this in my sleep. This is so, this is so familiar to us, isn't it? But that's what's going to really be so painful for us if we don't act upon this and we see the Lord face to face and He reminds us, you knew what to do, amen? My children, especially as they get older, they do something wrong, I get on to them, they try to act, well, my, my six-year-old right now, he's doing this real heavy. I didn't know, I, I really didn't know. No, you knew. You knew very well. In fact, I've told you, I can't tell you how many times, it's going to happen to us. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why did you not do more with your time that I allotted you, that I gave you? You knew. We, we're not going to say we couldn't. We know. Amen. It's that elementary. It's, so, it's there. It's so clear. Uh, what does the scripture say? It even says in one point, I believe, is that Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up against this generation because they didn't have half the signs that we had. Amen? And so this morning, I'm going to pray. And, of course, I know it might be awkward with no piano or no music. But listen, I'm telling you, when I got saved, there wasn't no singing going on. What wasn't nothing. There wasn't even a church service. Thank God that God's Holy Spirit's not bound or restricted or something's got to just happen. Amen? Amen. Thank you. But as I pray, you move this morning. If you need to be saved, you need to be born again, you do that. You come forward. Whether you need to speak with me or you speak with Brother Eddie, whatever. I thought that was the invitation coming there. You just respond, okay? And then if you're a child of God and you need repentance, man, whether you come to this altar, if you need me to pray with you, Brother Eddie, or some others of this church that you trust and feel comfortable praying with, you just do what God's called you to do. I'm going to pray, but you move this morning. Don't hesitate. If God's moved something on your heart to do this morning, an act of repentance, humility, going across the aisle asking for forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, whatever He's told you to do this morning, going back to the very first point, humble yourself. Man, you kill that flesh. You spit that pride out and do what God's telling you to do. Father God, we come to you. And Lord, we just pray, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, that today in this invitation that you would be pleased, you would be glorified. That, Lord, every last one of us, including me, Father God, I'd love to stand up here and smile and act like it was all together. God, I know, Father, that there's things in my life right now. God, I know that, Lord, you're calling me to, to move to a place of sacrifice and just, Lord, surrender that I might not taste but have revival, live in revival. Father, we pray right now, God, that, Lord, this time that you would, Lord God, have your will done right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.